Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Another episode with Jade Asperes from ComC, who's done many things there, recommended by Rich Klein. We had an extended conversation. This is the dueling questions portion of our discussion. Hope you're having a great time hobbying the way you do it. I want to thank my sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huxton Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, the Jade works for, and... Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Jade, for your time and for your uh, long service at ComC and making that a place that a lot of people besides me enjoy. So keep up the good work, and uh, thanks for your interesting questions. And we went back and forth, and here it is. Working at ComC, I spent a good five years sorting and IDing your submissions after having uh, listened to your podcast about dollar boxes and buying unique cards. How many sample and test cards do you think you've accumulated over the years? Accumulated is the key word, Jade. Yeah. Some of them were direct from the companies where they would send us a sample and we would keep them in our card library. And when I sold the company, kept the card library because the new owners had no interest in it. But I really haven't acquired them that much since then. I mean, it's mostly stuff I had a long time ago. If I do see stuff like that in a dollar box, yes, I'll generally pick it up. Because I think even if it's like a sample card, where the regular card could be serial numbered to 5,000. The sample card might have an XX on it or say sample on it, but they didn't do 5,000 of them. They did way less. So they're tougher. Like I say, they're lower supply, but lower demand. There may be some player collectors that would want some of them. But as I've said, I love the long tail. If you're really into player or a team, you'd like the more obscure stuff. And variation, it's a hobby that's always put some value on slight variations. Generally, we'd get some sample cards so we could show in the magazine what they were like. And mainly the front, the back would be slightly different because of the XX or sample, but some of them said sample on front too. So now are there any test products that you've seen cards of that never were produced? I bring this up because I really liked the action packed multi-sport samples and they never released those sets after the football. Actually, I did get those in an auction. Mm. Uh, about five years ago. It basically was an uncut sheet. Oh, cool. Of those. And so I hand cut them up. I have a special paper cutter that's not my hand. I didn't karate. <laughs> and so I want to get them into people's hands, but they're very tough. Mm-hmm. If you're a player collector, then you probably want to have it. I did price guides all these years, but price guides are based on comps for the most part. And when there are no comps, then you just put a price out there. And if it sells, then you wonder, did I price it right or too low? And if it doesn't sell, you think, well, maybe I've priced it too high. And you always have the chance to lower it. So I don't auction things off very much. That's why I like Com C. I just put a price on there, see what happens. If it sells, that's the end of that. If it doesn't sell, then I can make an adjustment at card shows. Back in the day, we always were looking for anything that wasn't in a price guide yet. Rich was my main counterpart on that. We try to pick up a sample card, a type card of anything that had not been in a price guide. So very limited or test issues. So that was fun. Okay. What's your biggest fear in the hobby, either about ComC or the hobby at large? Is it that the hobby would continue to grow and prices would get more and more, that ComC would continue to grow and grow, or that things would shrink? What makes you nervous or what makes you think, hey, I need to be prepared for the onslaught of doubling of demand next year? Ooh, I think after seeing the 
growth pretty much overnight with ComC. I was scared back then and how we dealt with it. And there were a lot of growing pains. I've been there 13 years and dug deep and got through a lot of it. I don't know exactly what I fear in the hobby. I had to make some changes on how I collect and how I buy just because they're still the same products, but they're a lot more expensive nowadays. So back in 2017, I was buying Braves case breaks in Bowman. They were one of the top teams. They were less than a hundred. They're $69, $79. And now for the top teams, in a case of Bowman, you're looking at four or $500. I have a PC, but uh, I do a lot of flipping and case break things that I normally put on ComC. So I had to just change that up. So I think my fear was just starting to correct with some of the prices of product. But Like I say, when I ask that question, people are nervous about things going the hobby shrinking others are nervous about the hobby greatly expanding i think it's more likely that it's continue to expand if fanatics really markets and promotes the whole industry and all the different sports that could provide another growth spurt for com c and i don't think that necessarily keeps you up late at night i think what tim has built the architecture is pretty robust on the other hand, still takes people. It's not hands-free. There's a lot of handling of the cards and uh, warehousing and stuff like that. And you're going to see it in the positions you've had on the front end. It's just people don't have any concept of the scale of the hobby if they're not in the business. They just think of their own collection. I learned as we're a small company, I kind of wanted to do everything and I'll fix it. I'll do it. I had to let a lot of that go. And I had to trust in the new people that came on. Uh, you know, when Charles took over, that was left in great hands. I had worked with Charles for a year and a half, and I knew he was going to do a great job. Since then, we've hired on a lot more people to work on cataloging and ID. And I rarely touch that part anymore with ID. They're doing a great job over there. I always wanted to peek in the kitchen when I first left that job and they're doing a great job over there. I've said the most fun I had in the business was when we had less than 50 employees where everybody did a little bit of everything and aware of what went into the products and when you get bigger. But it, but like I said, Charles is outstanding. So you pretty easy to delegate to somebody or hand off to somebody when they're really good. They know what they're doing and they really care. So that's a good thing. Yeah. As the hobby has evolved, what is the biggest change you've made? to adapt, especially with buying. I have said, I want to sell 1% of my cards a month. Now, <laughs> just to be honest, I want to sell the worst 1% every <laughs> month. I want to be left in 99 months with the best 1%, but it doesn't always work that way because people want to buy a lot of times what I don't want to sell, but I'm now selling on eBay. So I'm probably getting a lot closer to my 1% now as I put some lots on eBay and my ComC, I'm selling about 1% of what I have on ComC every month. So that's where I came up with that rule. I've been experimenting for my friends that have asked for help in selling their collections. I've been sampling some different signers and auction houses above and beyond my two excellent sponsors. I love Heritage and Huggins and Scott, and especially a regular customer for Huggins and Scott, but I always get all the Heritage catalogs and that's my high-end uh, auctioneer of choice. But I've been trying some others on a more limited basis just to see what the options are out there. It's been fun. But like I say, ComC, just chugging along with that. eBay I've introduced, and then we'll go from there. I basically want to sell individual cards on ComC, and I want to sell groups of cards on eBay. That's what I'm breaking down. 
complete sets. I sold a bunch of newer sets at a pretty good discount and I brought them over to the guy. So I'm full service. <laughs> now are your lots players, player. but the yeah. same player, but yeah. are, are they different cards in your lots or are they sometimes stacks? Of, They're like, sorted. I'm not going to sort them. Gotcha. First I thought I would sort them and make a hundred different, but now it's 200 assorted mm-hmm. and there's going to be some duplicates in there. I'll try to show that in the pictures and I try to make it clear that these are not cards I would be sending to Com. If it's going to sell on Com C, I'll put it on Com C. If I don't think it's going to sell on Com C, I'll put it in one of these lots. So some of that stuff that I bought in the dollar boxes that just turned out to not be good for Com C, or a player that I no longer collect because still my first cut is I pull stuff out for my own collection, and the second cut is what's going to go to Com C, and the third first cut probably is what what am I going to give to Rich? A lot of the stuff that just is not. At a certain threshold, it's better just donate it. So I've got my little system and that's been fun. So that's evolved, Jade. It's not the final evolution. I think I'll keep learning, but I've learned a lot this year with my eBay experience and this eBay consignment experience on behalf of my friends. I'm not a big fan of auction format unless it's a very high-end item. You've got to have not just two bidders, you've got to have two passionate bidders. Not just two passionate bidders, but two passionate bidders with deep enough pockets to pay what it's worth. Okay. I love the hobby. I'm a lifer. Sounds like you are too. And I'm a numbers guy. What percentage of the people in the hobby, whether it's from your ComC experience, your LCS, going to shows, whatever, are trustworthy? Ooh. Or the flip side, what percentage are not trustworthy? I'm not saying they're terrible people. It's just that you really wouldn't trust them. For example, I don't think there's big problems on ComC. If somebody's reneging, on buying my thing and then it gets put back in my account. That can't be happening very often because I get very few bounce backs. So hopefully you're vetting the sellers and perhaps even the buyers. If they're a problem, you I guess you can kick them off. So we, percent is a very small percentage, I think. So we have given warnings for, I know, like sellers. We have a lot of sellers and sometimes they buy collections and don't even know what they're sending in half the time. We can give them a benefit of the doubt and we have long-time customers that we've never had problems with. The returns, I'm really not in that department, so I really don't know how much of that's going on. I know on eBay prior, there used to be a lot of returns and chargebacks and they improved that system. But to your question, it seems like every dealer has a story with yeah. some kind of a st- My point is, if it was 20% of the people in the hobby were jerks and crooks Mm -hmm. and scammers, then my business, my former business, your business, it wouldn't be any fun. And it might not even be very profitable if you had that many problem accounts of people who were trying to take advantage of a system or beat the system or just be flat out dishonest. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad that it's a very small percentage because it allows ComC to run a business that is providing a good service and certainly in my company back in the day. And uh, you hear these isolated occurrences of somebody pulling a fast one, but it's isolated. Yes. It also depends on the seller too and buyers. There are some of those reprints, even though they're not reprints and people will buy those on social media and try to submit them to us. That's why we have our must be authenticated or we reject those types of cards. So we try to vet those out. And then if there are any questionable cards, we try to get them before they get put on site. You're supposed to be presumed innocent in 
an American court of law. Oh, definitely. Still <laughs> proven guilty. And again, you can do that when it's a small percentage of people that are making, again, it could be an honest mistake. Bought something in a collection, they submitted it, they didn't know. And if you didn't catch it, then when it gets mailed to the eventual person that bought it, they're going to say, well, or if they try to send it in for grading. For me, if I just look at it or feel it, I can tell that something's not, but it's counterfeit. It's an unauthorized reprint. It's not tops doing heritage or archives or some yes. same design and passing that off. So again, I've had a great experience in the hobby. I don't know that I would think that if I thought there were people trying to take advantage of me every chance they got or mm -hmm. copsy or trying to beat the system. When we're dealing with high-end cards, there are a lot more uh, buyers great. that only want graded. Yeah. Um, and even the grading companies. They're trying to stupid buy them tough, too. It's tough to trust anyone, especially when you're shelling out that kind of money for. Trust, trust but verify. Yeah, trust but yeah, verify. Yeah, definitely. The man 